Last week, when I was done, uh, a mentor of mine who comes to our church came up and he said, he said, you need to preach the entire sermon verbatim again next week. <laughs> I said, why? He goes, your church doesn't get it yet. No, actually, he said, we don't get it yet. And I'm not, I'm not for those of you that are, I'm not going to go ahead and review the whole thing, but his point was this. His point was, the fundamental truth is found in Romans 6 to 8. We don't understand. Because if we did, our lives would be different. Does anybody else, does anybody understand that? So no, the answer is not for me to preach the whole sermon again. The answer is for you and I to get around this truth. When you and I became Christians, listen very carefully. In the sermon series that we're, we're, we're talking about, you and I became a new you, a new me. Do you understand that? It's not a better version of us or an upgrade of us. It's a new you, new me. The Bible in the New Testament is full of biblical truth that reminds us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Over and over again, the Bible says that we are new creatures, that at the fundamental core of who we are, a fundamental change has occurred in us. Now, the problem is when you and I don't believe that and we think that Christianity or becoming a Christian is some better version of us, I'll tell you exactly what happens. For those of you that grew up in the Catholic Church, anybody? You know what this is like because the whole then essence of the Christian life becomes Jesus to save me and I, I'm, 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 I can go to heaven eternally secured. But the rest of my life is me trying to pull myself up by the bootstraps and becoming the best person that I can be. And when that doesn't work out, because very few of us are actually good at that approach to Christian living, we get filled with guilt and condemnation, and we either get to the point of saying, I don't want to be a Christian anymore, or we just lower the bar so low and go, if I can't be the Christian that I think Scripture wants me to be, I'm just going to compromise in every area of my life and just kind of live my life and let it be. The fundamental truth that the Bible over and over again tries to hammer away at to you and I is found, in essence, Romans 6, verses 3 to 5. Let, let me just go ahead and read that. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his, in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. And I said that last week, that word united is a horticultural word and literally says you and I have been engrafted into the very root of Christ. Simply put, you and I are so fundamentally united to Jesus at the point of conversion that everything that happened to Jesus, as far as God's concerned, happened to us. That's mind-boggling. Isn't mind-boggling to you? So when God sees you and me, he doesn't see our past. He sees Christ's past. Is that good news to anybody? That when God sees you right now, he doesn't look at you and go, remember all that? But he looks at you and go, Jesus paid for all that. So I look at you right now as sinless. I mean, see, that's why. He's sitting there going... Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't get it. You don't get it. Because if you got it, you jump, you jump, jump up and down and go, that's good news. Secondly, so when Christ sees us, he doesn't see our present. He sees Christ's present. <laughs> Come on. You know what you did last night. Why are you messing? You know what you did last night. If the way God looked at you and cheated you, depending on what you did last night, where would you be? So when God sees you right now, he sees you what? As perfect as who? As Christ. And when God sees you right now, he doesn't see your future. He sees Christ's future. Perfection, glory. Oh, good Lord. This is the reason why the Bible says when he looks at you right now, because of what Jesus did, he sees somebody, if you're in Christ, who is blameless Pure, righteous, sinless. 
I don't believe it. Or some of you go, I don't feel it. I haven't experienced it. Satan can't do anything to touch your position in Jesus, but he could lie to you to help you live in despair and not believing this truth. So some of you are sitting around today, guilt-ridden, overwhelmed, feeling condemnation. Why? Okay, so you sit there and go, I believe that. No, you don't. I'll tell you. Let me give you an example. I'll tell you why you don't believe in this, right? Because when you first get saved, you go, I believe it. But then it takes a little bit for you to what? Fall into sin, temptation. You see the selfishness, self-centeredness, and all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, Satan comes to you and goes, you're such a sinner. You're so bad. You're worthless. And those voices haunt you. Those voices, you don't go, I'm in Christ. His past, my past. His present, my You don't do that. They haunt you. Do you know why they haunt you? Because you give lip service to the fact that you're saved by grace, but in reality, you're living by works. So you think that your failure to live the Christian life, God looks at you right now and goes, you're worthless. They haunt you because you don't believe it. If you believed it, a voice comes, his past, my past. His present, my present. His future, my future. I'm in Christ. I'm not even going to ask how many of you are haunted by that voice this morning. Because I know many of us are. Another thing, real quick. The reason why this is important is because it affects our intimacy with our Heavenly Father. You'll never truly be intimate with somebody that you fear rejection from. Never. This describes your marriage, by the way. You're going, why is our marriage in trouble? Because if you think that your spouse's love for you is dependent on whether you perform well, you do stuff well. You, you know what? I, husbands, you know what I'm talking about? Wives, you know what I'm talking about? Walking around going, well, if I do that, she's going to. If I do that, she's going to. And there's this constant insecurity. There's no intimacy there. None. Same thing with God. If you're walking around going, well, if I do that, he's going to. If I do that, he's going to. You always feel like you're hitting a ceiling with God. Why? Fear of rejection. And the Bible says you're in Christ. Fear rejection. Gone forever. Oh, man. I'm telling you. Is this good news? Then our lives have to look different. All right, no more messing around, right? Let's get right in, okay? I'm looking at Dan right there, and he's like my timekeeper for review. I'm looking at him going, okay, pastor, we got it. I know we don't get it, Dan, but we're moving on. Romans chapter 6. Let's, we're, we're going through Romans 6 to 8, okay? So Romans chapter 6, verse 15. I told you guys last week, I'm just going to go verse by verse and just, just exegete the heck out of this sucker. All right? If you don't know what exegete means, that's okay. It just means look at what the Bible says and see what it means for us, okay? All right. Verse 15, the problem with your pastor is that every time I read the Bible, I can't go verse by verse and not like want to talk a whole sermon about it. Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? And secondly, I, okay, anyway, verse 15, here we go, verse 15. I'm just telling you that because I'm going to skip over some verses. You're like, well, what about that? What about that? If I talked about everything in Romans 6 to 8, we will be here for two years. Romans 6, 15. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, Paul says here something that's shocking. He says, offer yourselves as slaves. And we're shocked because when we hear the word slavery... We think of it in terms of new world slavery, which was race-based and forever. So we hear the word slavery and go, what the heck are you talking about? But in the first century, slavery was a very common deal. And it wasn't race-based and forever. If you were somebody who was in debt and couldn't pay the debt back, what you did was you sold yourself into slavery to someone and you worked off your debt for next amount of years. 
Now, when you entered yourself, self-surrendered yourself into slavery in such a way, you got something, got rid of your debt, but also something happened to you. You were enslaved under a master who has now complete control over your life. That wasn't surprising to the first century readers of Paul. What's surprising was what Paul does next, after the dash. He brings that into the spiritual realm, and he says this. There's nobody that's truly free. He says there's nobody truly free. You have one or two choices. You will either be a slave to God in wholehearted service to him, or you'll be a slave to some other master who will ruthlessly enslave you. Did you hear what I just said? Paul says here, there is nobody who is truly free. Every one of us, he says only two categories of people in the world. People who are obeying God in an absolute unconditional service to God, or people who are spiritually slaves to something else. He says there's no middle category. There's no such thing as absolute freedom. Everybody is a slave to something. We offer ourselves, all of us, to some altar, to some other Lord, some other master in our lives. There is some other bottom line that we're serving. You know what Paul is doing? He's booting off the Ten Commandments. God comes along to the Israelites and he says, First commandment, I am the Lord your God. Have no, listen carefully, have no other gods before me. What is God saying? I am the Lord your God. Either you're going to serve me, or you're going to have some other gods in your life. There's nobody who's free. There's no such thing as absolute freedom. You will either be in service to God or some other master. What are you talking about, Peter? You hear me talk about this all the time. What is your spiritual master? What's your significance? Where do you find your identity? Where do you find meaning in life? What's the thing that you get up in the morning and go, because of that, I am somebody. Because of that, I can go through this day. It's funny. I talk to non-Christians who come to our church. They go, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. I go, I beg to defer. You're very religious. What do you mean? Your religion is what you build your life on. Your religion is what you're ultimately finding significance and identity in. Your religion is what gives you core sense of, because of this, I'm okay. Please don't fool yourself in the morning, this morning thinking, I'm free. I'm. You're free. You're enslaved to God or some other master. See what Paul is getting at? Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're going to live for something or somebody who's going to control you, who is your spiritual master, something or someone that you've offered yourself to, you've given yourself to. Anytime I talk about this, by the way, there's a Greek word that's somewhere nearby. And it's found in Romans 12, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. The word evil desires in some of our older translation is lust of the flesh. And we go, lust of the flesh, and we go, sex or some sexual sin. It's not what it means. The word over desire, evil desires, literally in Greek, epithumia, thumia desire, epi over desire, inordinate desire. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying this is how master slaves come, you become enslaved to a master. He says you take good things and you make them what? Ultimate things. You take good things in your life and you make them ultimate and then you say to yourself, I have to have it. I have to have it. It's funny. Talk to people in our church, married couples who can't have any kids. They sit here doing the whole sermon, you know. Oh, yeah, I don't have any spiritual masters. Then they can't have any kids. I don't have any spiritual masters. About a year later, they come up weeping and go, you know what my spiritual master is? I want a child. It's good to be a parent. But you make that into an ultimate thing, and it ruthlessly enslaves you. Okay. What's your spiritual master? Can I talk about it, Thaddeus? All right, let's talk about it. If you're a typical newcomer, it's one of these.
What do you think? Okay. By the way, we're visiting our church. We're very real here. How many of you, your spiritual master is romance? Raise your hands. Liars. <laughs> Liars. Are you kidding? There's one, one young lady at the back who raised her hand. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do you know why you're so discouraged this morning? Do you know why you're despondent? Because male or female affection is your master. Let me ask again. How many for you, male or female affection is your spiritual master? Oh, good Lord. Okay. How many of you, we're going to skip number two because that's like 90%, okay? Moving on to number three. How many of you, physical beauty? Yeah, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Fourth. I almost want to skip that one too because you know why? You know what codependence is? Some of you, you know what your spiritual master is? It's being needed. Oh. You're just absolutely distraught this morning. Do you know why? Because your need to be needed is not being met. And you're like, I don't want to. It's your spiritual God. Causes? Come on, I know our church. There's some of you. Literally, your spiritual master, I help the poor. Or oh, it's Isaiah 58. Or oh, it's the cause. Family, money, ministry, achievement, success. You're sitting there going, I didn't know they were spiritual masters. Do you know why you didn't know you were spiritual masters before you became a Christian? Because you're already serving it. It's normal. It's natural. You're swimming in it. All of a sudden, though, you become a Christian and you go from kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And all of a sudden, you realize, whoa, allegiances are being tested. Am I going to serve God or this spiritual master? Okay. Let's keep going a little bit. How do you know they're spiritual masters? Look at excessive, repeated, uncontrolled emotions. How many of you this morning, I don't, you don't need to raise your hand. How many this morning are filled with anger? Because here's the thing. If something blocks you from getting a good thing, you get angry. But if something blocks you from getting an ultimate thing, if something blocks you from getting the thing that you find meaning in, you become, listen, epi-angry. How many of you sitting here this morning and you're, uh, two, fear. If you can't get something, you lose something that's important to you, you're afraid. But if you lose something or are afraid of losing something that's ultimate to you, you are paralyzed with fear. You're sitting here this morning, and you can't even pay attention to anything that's going on because you are consumed right now with that thing. Third, sadness. All of us get despondent at some point when we lose somebody we love or we can't get something that we really think is important. But if it's an epi, if it's an ultimate in our lives, you want to throw yourself off the bridge. And you're telling me this morning that God is your ultimate master and you have no other masters in your life? Do you know what suffering is? For some of us, you know what suffering is? Suffering, listen, is when our masters are dying. We sit there and go, I can't, I can't stand it. I don't want to live. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm fearful. All of these emotions. We can't, we're going, ah, I want my life back. You don't want your old life back. You want your old masters back. And God loves you too much to let you have your old masters back. You don't want your old life back. That's not what you want. You're wanting your old masters that's ruthlessly enslaving you back. And why would a loving God give you back that master? Huh? I see like two, three people just breaking out and crying. This is, see, this is, this is the reason why I don't preach sermons like this. 
Don't lie. This is four-part sermon series on lying. Lying is bad. First part sermon, God hates liars. Second part sermon, lying has consequences. Third part of the sermon, tell other people about lying so they can keep you in community. Fourth part, you know why I don't do that? The reason why you're lying is because there's a spiritual master that's more important than God. Some of you, you can't stop lying because you got to save face. You can't stop lying because you, your respect means more than anything else. Why am I harping on this right now? If we're talking about new you and change and transformation, you and I are not going to experience change because I tell you not to do X, Y, and Z until you identify your spiritual master and go, I will not serve that any longer. You could hear a thousand sermons and you'll walk away angry, paralyzed with fear, despondent. Some of you have an eating disorder. I know there are complex psychological reasons for it but could it be that you've given yourself over to the master and false god of thinness and you're saying if i'm thin he'll like me if i'm thin my husband will think i'm beautiful some of you you're a workaholic for crying out loud you're a workaholic yes you're a workaholic like me (laughs) you work at 60 70 hours Who tells you to? You? Your boss? Or your spiritual master that says, if you don't work hard, you're worthless? Are you producing? Because if you're not producing, you have nothing. Is this hitting close to home? Should we just stop right here and go, Lord Jesus, thank you? No. I got to keep going because I got to feel, I got to make you feel worse before I make you feel better. If you think you feel bad right now, we're not even close. Okay, verse, <laughs> verse 17. I'm kidding, sort of. Verse 17, here we go. But thanks be to God that those who used to be slaves, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching. And the form of teaching is the first part of Romans, the gospel, God's unconditional exempt of us based on the work of Christ, to which you were entrusted. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Everybody look up here. This is what Paul is saying, and this is so powerful. He goes, God has set you free, really, from slavery to that master. Not so that you can go, woohoo, I can do whatever I want, so that you can what? Serve a new master. And folks, this totally redefines evangelism discipleship. Do you realize becoming a Christian is not about, oh, I get to go to heaven. I'm going to try to be a good person. Becoming a Christian. Do you know what the early church did when they become Christians? They were baptized. They turned their back towards, against east. East east, east represented sin, Satan. And they turned back towards east. And they pointed towards God. And they said, Jesus is Lord. And then they were dunked in the water. And you remember for the first century people saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, was he going to treason? We, get, we are falsely advertising what Christianity is. We are, when we say to people, become a Christian so you can be saved, you and I are totally misreading the scriptures. Do you know that in the New Testament, the word Savior appears 24 times? The word Lord appears 433 times. What do you think it means to be a Christian? To have Jesus as your Savior or to have Jesus as what? Your is he your Lord? I'm not going to say his name, but there's a guy in the worship team. I love, love, love when we pray together. He's the only guy I've heard in a while. In prayer, he says, master, master, master. I don't hear that a lot. I love the way he prays because when he prays, he goes, master, master. Jesus, you're my master. And that really resonates with me because he is not just your savior. He's what? 
And think about this, what it meant in the first century. To have Jesus as your master means self-surrender of your total allegiance, total everything. That means not just I get to go to heaven, I live my life the way I want to. My time, my effort, my energy, my money, my belongings, my everything is under and surrendered to the lordship of a new master. And his name is Jesus. You have not been set free so you can do what you want. You've been set free from one master so you can serve another. If you're sitting there going, master, master to Jesus, enslaved to Jesus, that doesn't sound good. I'm going to get to that at the very end. I'll tell you why it's good news. Keep going. Verse 19. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity. And listen to this. Ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. You know what Paul says here? He says both of the slaveries, they don't just stand still, but they increase. Listen. Slavery to sin, you don't just stand still. There's an addictive quality to sin. Many moon years ago, I was speaking at a retreat in San Francisco. A friend of mine who was a missionary with an organization called YWAM visited me on the last night. Let's just call him Scott. Scott came over. We're talking. How you doing? Conversations. And then it became really personal. Scott begins to share with me that he has been addicted to pornography, and then to sex. Single guy, by the way. And he says, it all started, Peter, when I was in college, just looking at Playboy, other magazines. And then gradually, onset of internet, it became a deeper addiction. And just as addiction as a tolerance, he said, I, I try to satisfy the need, but it became greater to get it satisfied, greater, to get it satisfied, greater, get it satisfied. And he said it eventually led to, one night I got in my car, and I drove down to part of the city in San Francisco where you could pay a prostitute. And he said, I was shaking as I was driving the car down to this part of town. And he said, I parked the car about a block away. And he said, that was last week. And he says to me, do you know, Peter, the whole time I was telling myself, oh, I, I can stop anytime. Oh, I, I can stop anytime. And he said, during the whole time, the justifications that would go through his mind, like, Justifications you and I know. Things like, it's not that bad. It's not hurting anybody else. I'm tired of waiting. Sin begins with dabbling in it. I'm going to ask a very blunt question. How many of you this morning started dabbling in something and this morning you're sitting there finding yourself going if somebody knows about this I read this in some national geograph something about how Eskimos kill wolves. Listen. First, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then he has another layer of blood and another and another until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter then fixes his knife in the ground with the blade up. When the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. 
he begins to lick faster and faster, more aggressively and vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Fervishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes the craving for blood that the wolf does not notice the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade on his tongue, nor does he recognize the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. The illusion of sin is that it won't enslave you. The illusion of sin is like that a long time ago Lay's potato chip commercial bet you can't just eat one. Oh, yes, I could. Oh, yes, I bet you can't eat one. Children of God, are you taking this seriously? The lie of Satan is that he wants to have you believe that ultimate freedom is found from God, not in God. The ultimate lie of Satan is that he will make you believe that God is a warden, not a deliverer. If you think that serving wholeheartedly God means life of enslavery, Satan has you fooled. Just as powerfully, look at what he says in verse 19. Just as sin doesn't stand still but proceeds and advances. This is amazing news. Verse 19. So now, offer them, that is yourselves, in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Verse 19 comes right after verse 18. In verse 18 is essentially what I talked about all last week. You have been set free from sin. Everybody, can you look up here? I know that was kind of a downer and kind of heavy, but can you look up here? Can you look, everybody looking up here? Here's what, sin, here's what Paul is saying. Here is your motivation to now offer yourselves to righteousness and to grow in ever-increasing righteousness. He says the motivation to that is verse 18, which is you have been set free. That is, you have a new position in Christ, you have a new identity in Christ, and you have a brand new power in Christ. And this teaching is found throughout the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't say, now become something that you'll never be or become something even though you don't have anything to. The New Testament says, become what you already are. You are not that wolf licking that blade. That's not you. Satan has you believing that that's you. That is not you. That part of you died when Christ rose. Do you hear me? This is why the New Testament is full of teaching like this. Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you. In other words, Paul is saying, knowing that God is at work, work. Good news? Knowing that God is at work, work. Work as if it's true, because it's true. That's the New Testament's method of having you and I change. Be what you already are. There's nothing about going outside of ourselves to get something we don't have. Here's another passage. 1 Peter 2.2. You grow up in your salvation. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate all in the divine nature and escape the corruption and the sin that is in the world caused by evil desire. The astonishing things that the Bible says that you should be is already what? True of you. Is that good news? You can live free because you are already what? Free. 
You can live righteously because you are already what? Righteous, man. Woman. Dude, whatever. All of us. This means that on the one hand, if you're not changing in the ways you need to change, you don't lack any resources. If you are a child of God, you have everything you need. Everything that we're supposed to be is, in a sense, already true of us. So it's not, oh, when will I ever be the new me? It's, you're already the new you. When are you going to get there? This is so important. Verse 20, what do you do? When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? I remember one of my pastors a long time ago saying something. Maybe it was Tony Campolo, who is not my pastor. But Tony Campolo said this. He said the way Satan works is this. Our sins, he records them and then files them in file cabinets. And at the most inopportune time for us, but most opportune time for him, he opens a file cabinet, takes that file out and go, hey, remember this? And fills us with shame, guilt, condemnation. Then just ask, how do we battle that? How do we battle that? By going, how do we battle that? Going, I'm just going to try a little harder. That's exactly what we're saying. How do you battle that? You battle that by saying what? Satan, pull it out. Pull it out. Yep, yep. There it is. Guess what Jesus says? He doesn't treat me from my past, my present, my future, but Christ past, Christ present, Christ future. As far as I'm concerned, as far as he's concerned, I stand blameless and righteous before God. Show me another one. Yep, show me another one. Oh, oh, guess what Psalm says? As far as he's from the west, so has he removed my sins. Show me another one. Uh, you and I, you know what we do? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, why did I do that? Why did I do that? If I could only go back. If I Become what you're ready. You know, I could preach on this for an entire year. And for some of us, it won't be enough. Verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you now are ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. Can I just get an amen right there? Yes. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That verse, we all know, memorize it. You know what that verse literally means? Wages of sin, that word was literally a daily wage that was given to Roman soldiers. So when we think of wages of death, we think separation from God, eternal. That's not what Paul's talking about here, although that's part of death. He's saying the kind of death that comes in sin is an everyday daily wage. In other words, you die a little bit by 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 a little bit. Okay, he goes, how does that work? Two examples. If you're slavery, or you're enslaved to service of master, that is approval, Daily, if you have to have someone's approval, daily you're filled with anxiety, envy, jealousy, insecurity, and fear. Workaholism, achievement, daily, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're agitated, you're angry. So let me ask you a question. A daily life filled with self-pity, envy, jealousy, anger, that's not living. You know what that is? That's existing. And there are many of us this morning, look, all men die, not everybody lives. Some of you, you're not living. You're a walking corpse. Get up every morning. What does Paul say? You don't need to live like that. He says what? Instead of death, you can choose life that comes through obedience. Listen very carefully, and we're going to go more on this next week. You don't have to obey the Ten Commandments to be saved, but you do have to obey the Ten Commandments to be free. You know why? You know what freedom is? Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to, whenever you don't, whoever you want to. Freedom is the ability to do what you know you should do. (laughs) I'm glad, sister, this is resonating with you. 
Because my church, they're like, I don't get that. So let me say it again. Freedom is not to go, I will do whatever. Freedom is somebody who says, I know what I should do, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. You know what not freedom is? I'm free to do whatever I want to. Yeah, but it's destroying you. I know, and I can't stop. But I'm free to do what I want to do. That's destroying me. How is that freedom? You're a slave. Freedom is the ability to do what God wants us to do. In, in, in freedom of that, you reign in life. In freedom of that, you experience the divine nature of God. In freedom of that, you experience the fruit of the Spirit. So instead of envy, jealousy, anger, fatigue, pride, arrogance, fruit of the Spirit, daily life filled with joy, peace, kindness, love, gentleness, and, yes, self-control. Everybody here, nobody's free. You could be free to God and truly be free. You could be free to serve sin and be enslaved. Okay, I'm almost done here. I need to wrap this up. So, so, um, how do we change? And, and I've, tried to, I've tried to share with you guys the 10 years that I've been preaching. That the way we change is the same way we begin this Christian life. Did you hear that? The way we change is when we begin the Christian life. How do we begin the Christian life? Paul says in Mark chapter, I mean, Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, 15. The kingdom of God is near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. Everybody, everybody. The way to change and transform is to repent. One, two, believe the good news. Repentance, believing the good news. Repentance, believing the good news. This is how you become a Christian. But every day after that, this is how you change. What do I mean? If you really and truly want to change, if you really and truly want to change, the first thing that all of us will have to do this morning is ask this question. Lord, I'll do anything you want me to. This is you and me talking. I'll give up anything you want me to give up. I'll change anything you want me to do. But whatever is in that blank, that's your real master. I don't care what you give your lip service to. That's your real master. What is it? What is it? It's not about, well, I did that last night, Lord, I feel bad. No, what's underneath that? What's the root of that? What's the fundamental foundational thing that's keeping you in that? It is some master that's enslaved you. What is it? Be honest. What is it this morning that you're saying, I can't give that up? Secondly, believe the good news. What do I mean? Do you guys realize that every single one of us this morning, every single one of us, Christian or not, all of us have this thing. All of us have this thing. All of us have this thing that says, God wants to rule my heart. And that's right. And it's good. But all of us also says, God wants to rule my heart. And if I let God rule my heart, Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, 3. Satan comes and says, you could eat tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's good. Why don't you eat it? God says not to. God says not to. You don't know what he's talking about. It's good for you. Go and take it. What was he saying? If you fully and utterly trust God and his word, he will abuse you like all the other masters. Do you know why you don't want to surrender your life to God? Because you think if you did totally, he will abuse you like all the other masters in your life. That's why you're afraid. That's why I'm afraid. We think that if we utterly gave our lives to God, God will abuse us. You believe that lie just like Adam and Eve, and it's sunk deep in your heart. This is the reason why when God comes and says, do, you go, I'll serve you, Lord, if I'll serve you. Do you realize that the one thing that God asks you is, not, is the one thing you're not willing to give up? When you say, I'll serve you, Lord, if the one thing that God asks you is not the thing that you're going to do. What is that thing? I'm willing to give up anything. The thing that God is asking you to give up is to stop saying, Lord, I'll serve you if. But it's simply come to God and say, I'll serve you, Master. I'll trust you, master. Period. Well, I can't do that, Peter, because I think he's going to abuse me. Okay. I heard a pastor talk about this in the sermon. We'll end with this. Carlton, you can come on up, please. It's a beautiful illustration. I actually had to see the movie because he talked about it. I'm like, wow. Anybody seen the movie Three Seasons? Three Seasons? Nobody? Check it out. It's a beautiful film. Sundance film. Beautiful film. Three seasons. Netflix, three seasons. It's a timepiece, actually. 
It's right after the Vietnam War. It's in Vietnam. And it, it, it centers around four vignettes, but one of them centers around two characters, Hai and Lan. Hai. Hai is a cyclo driver. You know what cyclo driver is, right? Cyclo driver. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Lan is a prostitute, beautiful prostitute. They both have unfulfilled longings. Hai wants to spend the night with Lan. Lan, her longing is every night she goes into these beautiful, expensive hotels with their clients to do tricks. And then at night she's forced to leave because the hotel's like, we don't want your kind in here. And the deepest longing in Lan's heart is just to belong, just to belong. So these two characters are both unfulfilled longings. Hai makes advances towards Lan. Lan's like, I don't think so, cyclo driver. And Hai enters a race, cycle race, and he wins, and he wins a large sum of money. His life could potentially change. What does he do with the money? He approaches Lan and says, hey, I want to spend the night with you. Lan goes, okay, got the money. Meet me at that hotel that you want, always wanting to be at on this night. So she shows up in the audience and says, ooh, Sundance film, there's expecting some steamy love scene. Here's what happens. Let me just read what one critic said. Hai has only purchased Lana Place as an actual guest in the normal world she dreams of joining. And he asks only for this permission to watch her fall asleep in it. Slowly, comfortably, she falls asleep. And he's gone by the morning. Having demanded nothing from her except the chance to fulfill her longings, just a desire to belong. But something snaps inside of her. She finds she can't go back to her old job of prostitution. Why? Having experienced for the first time someone who used his power to serve her rather than to use her. She gets a new sense of her own dignity and identity. She is not the same person. She is changed by the transforming grace of selfless love. Do you know why scenes like that and movies like that resonate with you and me? Do you realize what Jesus did? Creator God, Philippians 2, emptied himself and became a servant. Mark chapter 10, I came not to be served but to serve. John 13, the creator God rolls up his sleeves and he washes the feet of his disciples. Why? Why does it? the creator God do that when he had all the power and authority in the world what does he do he used that to serve us why because he sees you and me trapped in worthless endless idols and masters in our lives destroying our lives and he knows that the longing of our hearts is not just to spend one room in a nice beautiful hotel but the longing of our hearts is to spend eternity in our father's house And Jesus purchases you and me, not at the cost of some money, but at the cost of his life. Why would you not want to give yourself to a master like that? You're giving your life for your career? Your career ain't never going to die for you. You're giving yourself for that relationship? That relationship will never die for you. The only master in the universe who had all the power and authority to order us around laid it down and says, all for you. And you're still afraid that he will abuse you if you surrendered your all? You're still That he who did that for you and me, I can't trust him. This morning, in some ways, before we rejoice, it has to be a solemn gathering. A solemn gathering of repentance and lament. What do I mean? I'm telling you, please. 
if you really want to change and be the new you, you have to look at your real spiritual master in the eye and go, I know exactly who you are. And I've been serving you all my life. Solemn assembly. What do I mean? Repentance is saying not, oh God, I'm sorry I did the last night. Repentance is saying, God, this is my spiritual master. Give me the strength to uproot this spiritual master and replace it with the only true master and Lord who has given his all for me. our salvation you are our life you are our all you are our master who has laid down his life and his all who does that who does that there is no other God besides church we begin and continue our journey as we look at Romans 7 next week I ask you two things read in advance pray God would speak to you secondly bring somebody who needs to hear the gospel Jesus Christ as you leave this place children of God You have died and risen with Christ. The determining factor in your relationship with God is His presence, His presence, and His future. Therefore, there is now no condemnation ever, now, forevermore for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free. And if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. Be who you are. Be what you already are. You do not lack anything to live in life God has called you to. And that according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is good news. Amen? Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday.